Welcome to Career Crossroads Uncorked, a series of member chats inspired by good drinks and current talent acquisition trends. Your hosts, Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin, break down today's recruiting headlines while reviewing a select beverage of choice with industry leaders and influencers. Join us for a drink and conversation. Good to see you, Peter. It is great to see the two of you. And I was uh, following from a distance watching the candy presentations earlier this week. So hopefully that went off well. It was great. It went off very well. Awesome. It was one of the, it it was actually the best conference I've been to this year. Excellent. Excellent. That seems a bit loaded. I mean, complimentary, but also loaded. (laughs) I know because the quality, the quality is these conferences is not, not very high right now. No, everybody's uh, getting their their working muscles back into shape. I think. Yeah, I, I will yeah, tell you. I think Talent Connect. Uh, look, there were some areas that were like, eh, not not amazing, like in terms of the facilities, right? Because you were walking around, felt like South by Southwest a little bit. It was in downtown LA, mm-hmm. um, and some of the breakouts weren't awesome, mm-hmm. but but by and large, uh, might be one of my favorite Talent Connects. They just did a really, really, really good job. That's great. Well, I, I'll tell you, last night, we have a, a group here in the Washington, D.C. area that we call the TALC, the Talent Acquisition Leadership Council. Mm-hmm. And we get together, we used to get together probably four times a year, sometimes during the day at a at somebody's location, somebody will host us, uh, and then usually twice a year for dinner and drinks and usually bring in a vendor or two. Um, it was great to see everybody. I, I will never take for granted again. Um, being able to go and and actually interact with your peers, your colleagues, share war stories, um, commiserate a bit. Uh, T- never- tell me, it didn't feel a little bit like a high school reunion. Did, did it a feel little, a little bit like a high school. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. And I, I, you know, I've recently lost about ten pounds, so I felt like I came to the reunion well. Oh. <laughs> I worked so well. I had talks with some of us who it, I know it's only been three years since we've seen everybody really, but I had talks with folks who I've known for a decade and we were having conversations with like, yeah, I'm having ACL or, oh yeah, now I wear bifocals transition. Oh, I have a hearing aid now. It was like, what, what? do we go through a time warp? What's going on? What's going on? Right. Wait. There it is. I got mine. Oh, excellent. So you got the little bay. Hang on. I'll be right back. I thought I would try something a little bit different than, you know, perhaps whatever, but it's still Oban extra or something. You know, it says they take Oban and stick it in another cask for a while. (laughs) That's right. I I enjoy them both. And I almost went your route, but I, I went with the, uh, just the traditional 14, 14 year. Um, I didn't have that choice. I had, yeah, it was either the Oban that they had, which was similar to this. Mm-hmm. But I didn't notice a year on it. Oh, I would have gone for a. I would have gone for a higher year. Clearly, mm-hmm. yeah. They, you know, they do have an eighteen-year-old, but but generally speaking, the the Oban you usually find is fourteen, and okay. it's in, it's interesting too because I've always called it Oban. I've I've had I've been drinking this probably for twenty five years, but my my Scots friends tell me that it's actually pronounced Oban. Oban. So Oban. Okay. So if we want to be proper, then we could say Oban. But I don't know. It's been so long. I just 
habits hard to break. <laughs> For me, there's there's more expensive ones out there. There's more exclusive ones out there. To me, for me, this is the perfectly balanced scotch. You know, it starts with kind of some fruitiness and some ginger maybe. And then it's got just enough peatiness. It's not super peaty, but it's got just enough that it balances out, you know? So that's that's my go-to. Well, I like the fact that it actually goes down my throat without burning the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty good. It's not too smoky, It's but it's pretty not good. too smoky. I, I try not to keep it around the house because if I do, it's it's just way too tempting to to grab and have a couple. So special occasions with special friends. I'll take appreciate it. it. I'll take it. So I appreciate stuff. the opportunity to share something with you. So that's great. Mm. Absolutely. Been a long time coming. How how is your um adjustment to your new job coming on? So it's it's been fantastic. You know, I um, when I decided that it was time to leave Northrop, I I was really looking for a place that took a, a human-centered approach, a really conversational sure. approach to recruiting and to interactions across the, the enterprise. And through a series of conversations, every single leader that I met with, we'd spend the first 15 or 20 minutes talking about travels or our kids adventures during COVID or what have you. And, and to me, you know, forming that basis, that relationship is so important. It's important to our craft, but I think it's increasingly important to any, any company, any enterprise that wants to really connect with its people. Um, right. And that was very attractive. Now, earlier in my career, I made transitions more frequently. And so I was accustomed to the, onboarding, the the quick assimilation, learning all the acronyms. And now I'm a little further further on in my career and I spent seven years at a really good company and, and it's it it's kind of knocking the rust off to get back in there and, and relearn something new. And especially moving from aerospace and defense back into a more commercial posture. Sure. Uh, but it's been fantastic. I, I really am happy with the decision I made and look forward to transforming and evolving the function there well certainly wish you best in the new adventure i think thank that's you fabulous. do you I think uh do, do you think that personal approach uh that you're experiencing there is indicative of the time that we're at or do you think that's actually just it's it's just always maybe been the company's sort of culture you know that's a that's a terrific question chris i i think that it's been part of their co corporate culture since their inception Mm -hmm. um, I think it's probably become more pronounced as they've grown. And certainly over the last two or three years, the challenges, the struggles, you know, tr striving to maintain connection when you're looking at each other through a screen instead of next to each other. Um, but I think it's increasingly important. And, you know, I, I don't know what your all's perspective is. Um, you know, the last couple of years, I've seen a lot of companies start to to promote you know their human centric kind of approach and they've got mindfulness rooms and they've got uh you know plants where you can meditate during your work day <laughs> it will be very interesting though i think to see as we see this contraction happening in the macro economy and i hope sure. i hope that candidates are paying attention because all of these companies that have talked a really big game about social justice mm -hmm. about connection about being there for their employees about hey we've got the best human deal in town 
we'll see how that proves out. Right. Yeah. It, it will be interesting. I, I have a theory and I think I tweeted it a little while ago, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, we're seeing these lists and we saw it at talent connect, you know, here out of how many, however many thousand of, you know, candidates uh, that were actually pulled, what was, what was super important to them mm -hmm. at an organization, right. And compensation, no surprise, always in like mm -hmm. the top five, top three. Um, but what I didn't see was stability. Hmm. And given the market and the, but the people that we're talking to and some of the recruiters that we're talking to are, are fielding questions around stability. Yeah. Uh, we're even seeing, uh, Jerry can back me up on this too. We're even seeing leaders at the director level starting to attempt to negotiate their exit or these golden parachutes at a director wow. level. Uh, and I think it's a fear of stability in the marketplace. Like what, ha what happens if you lay me off in a year and it wasn't my fault? Like if you just suddenly decide you, you hired too many, like what, what, what happens to me? Why should I leave? And I'm wondering how long it'll take before stability bubbles up into even the top five of responses from candidates saying, I'm looking to work at a company that is coming I, I, yeah. for a little while. I think we're going to see a dramatic shift and it's coming really fast. Um, you know, as I said, I was at the, the talc meeting last night. And one of my peers is at a, a very well-respected company. They've been making significant profits. I, I don't know if they're record profits, but very healthy profits. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about downsizing about three quarters of their recruiting staff. And to me, you know, it, it, it's a little bit heartbreaking. I mean, look, I'm, I'm a capitalist. I, I'm an American, just like the next, next guy. So I'm not, I'm not advocating for some, you know, socialist takeover. But I do think that we have taken a very kind of corrupt view on what capitalism is right. and companies that have a lot of responsibilities to, to stakeholders, including their employees, the communities they live in, um, the, the globe, the planet. Um, they need to pay a little bit more attention. They need to shift, shift their focus in my view a little bit more in that direction, a little bit less, gosh, uh, a little bit less almost obsession over what you do quarter on quarter. It's right such now. a short term, short view. And, and you, you know, look, yeah, you cut to the bone, you can, you can make your profits look good, but that's not real. That's manufactured. It's not sustainable. What, you know, I, I think there's room to create a company or, or thrive in an environment where, yeah, you're taking cost seriously. If, if things fall mm -hmm. off a cliff in a major way, you're going to have to make some unpleasant choices. But, but we don't need to cut to the bone at this point in time. I mean, it'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy um, if yeah. we do. We're, we're so far on one end of a spectrum. We really need to redefine business in terms of our responsibilities to each other. Absolutely. Um, as well as to uh, the stakeholder who wants to maximize profit. Mm -hmm. And and I, you know, I grew up in Johnson and Johnson and the credo was literally written on the walls of every building uh, that I walked into. And, and I, you know, I drank that Kool-Aid, but it basically focused in on what we owe the customer, the employee, the candidate, you know, uh, the community, et cetera. And then the assumption that if we do those things well, we will return a fair profit. And a fair profit's a little different than, you know, an obscene profit. So right. it's a little uh, different yeah. than maximized every quarter, regardless right. of the the impact. 
you know, and then the, the funny thing is, I shouldn't say funny thing, the irony, I should say, is that, you know, during the great resignation, all these companies are saying, oh, my gosh, we're having a hard time connecting with our employees. They don't understand our value proposition. I'm like, well, I think they maybe they do. I mean, maybe they understand. <laughs> maybe they understand they're only as good as the next quarter. And for all of the all of the rhetoric, you, you don't really care about your people the way that you should. And yeah, I think, Peter, I think quietly one of the things that's been overlooked is the fact that a lot of the major universities are producing, you know, really great talent coming out. And many of them in increasing number don't want to work for a large corporation. Mm-hmm. And, and that's part of the danger. Now, obviously, they can get crazed, you know, by I, I want to be a billionaire, so I want to do a startup and, you know, sell it. So so there's there's a little bit of a, a, a problem with the other direction as well. Right. But, but the truth of the matter is many of them, you know, have seen their parents and their, you know, their older friends, if you will, who've gone before them, not really being fully engaged in, or, in large corporations. Or just getting screwed. We can just, just, just getting screwed. Just, yeah, getting really sh- the short end of the stick. And here's here's the even greater irony, which I, I know I don't have to tell the two of you, but maybe someone out there in the ether, um, this will be news to them. But look, we are demographically in a critical talent shortage, and we were we're going to be probably for the rest of my lifetime. Yep. And so you would think that people would say, well, gosh, if I'm going to have a competitive advantage in this market and I want to have a sustainable enterprise that generates fair and decent profits for its shareholders and can invest in its people, then you would put talent at, at the top of your priorities. Sure. And people say they do. But again, you know, we're already seeing contraction, even though the economy grew this last month, we're already p- seeing people act as if it's fallen off a cliff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think you got two, you have two messages too coming out, right? Like you, you've got the economists who are saying not, not a nasty recession, but a recession. Mm-hmm. It'll be short or it'll be shallow. We'll be, you know, we'll be okay. But then mm-hmm. you have headlines coming out that say basically yeah. iceberg straight ahead. I mean, you have a very conflicting message that's coming out across the board. And it ripples. I think the fear ripples throughout, you know, the talent acquisition side of that. Well, the headlines like today of of uh, uh, Elon Musk laying off half half the workforce, for example, Ah, it's it's it sells newspapers. It sells, you know, Twitter. It's uh, so obviously that's what's. That's what is out there, and that scares a lot of people. Perhaps even some CEOs who say, "Well, maybe I should be doing the same thing he's doing." Well, for, was it the? It was Forbes or Fortune, I forget which. They had an article come out about two weeks ago that said ninety-nine percent of CEOs fear a massive recession. It's like, well, you only you only pulled two hundred when right. you dig into the article. So it's not ninety-nine percent of all of them. But I think those headlines, you know, scare the shit out of people. They do. They absolutely do. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But again, I I hope the candidates are paying attention. I mean, it it makes me think about um, when COVID first happened and we had at Northrop a crop of, I think it was about 1,500 or so interns that were due to start. 
And we made a corporate commitment. Like, look, we told them we would offer them an internship and it may not be as robust. We may have to do it virtually, but we're going to honor that commitment. And we did. Mm -hmm. And, and so along the same lines, I hope that now people really take a look because when the economy, let's say it is a mild recession and we come back out in Q2, Q3 of next year, all these companies are going to come straight back with their, you know, mindfulness practices and their employee. Think, think it through first. And, and maybe look, if you, if you don't care about that kind of thing, then fine. But if you do care about working for an organization that takes care of you, that is uh, engaged with you, that values you, not just quarter on quarter, depending on profit, but for you as a human being, then pay attention. You know? I, I think I think it's a lot. So what you did at NG with the interns, I think, is a dividend that comes back in 10 years or maybe even in 20 years when mm-hmm. these these folks remember that move. Right. But if you're looking at, you know, whether you're in the black or the red or you're looking at what's happening to your point earlier, I think, Peter, quarter by quarter, there's no real return on that. Shut that down, rescind those offers. And we saw we saw a lot of people do it. But I do think, to your point, it is a very valid long tail strategy of making sure that people know that they are appreciated or at least treated like people. Right. I think right. it's also the importance of people at any stage, but but certainly younger folks who are considering what what jobs to take to begin with, as well as where to go after that that they have access, they have transparency around data, like the data that you're describing, Peter, that they that it's easy for them, if mm-hmm. somebody has coached them, mm-hmm. to find out how this company handled the last recession, for example, yeah. or yeah. how they handled the pandemic, or how, you know, how many people are retained over time uh, who come in from, you know, this school or that school or what have you. And, and so they're improving their ability to make reasonable decisions because they're getting the kind of mentoring and coaching that allows them to think more beyond, think beyond uh, the obvious, which is the salary and compensation and the change, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of responsibilities. Yeah. So, Jerry, I'll, I'll ask you and, and I'll answer I'll answer my own question first and then I'm going to ask you. <laughs> I never ever when applying for a job like 30 years ago, right? Just starting my corporate adventure, never thought to question how the company, what was their corporate citizenship? It never Hmm. crossed my mind as a 20 something to ask myself, how how did these folks treat their employees when X happened? Or none of that even crossed my mind. Did did, that something that was even on your radar in your 20s? Oh, for me? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Really? It was. Oh, without a doubt. Jerry's from the future. That's I have. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, in your 20s, same for he's you. A, he's a leader. He's a leader, Chris. You know that. In my graduate years, I became I I had a peak experience in my graduate years. Mm. And, and there was a recession. Here. So there was a recession in 1971. I'm I'm in career services at Stevens Institute of Technology. Oh, yeah. And people are coming in with 19 years of experience from Raytheon, a company that Peter would be familiar with, mm-hmm. and telling me that they have just been laid off. But here's the thing. In 1971, 
Raytheon only gave you a pension after 20 years. So people with 19 years of service have zero, zero invested in their pension. There's no such thing as 401k in 1971. Right. And and I'm sitting there shocked because for the first time in my life, I realized, oh, they don't care about me. I couldn't imagine that they wouldn't care about me. <laughs> You're like, who was the Oscar? Oh, God, it was like a wake like, up they call. Love me. They really love me. So I was, I would have been just like you. But, but you know, I, I was responsible for helping a guy who's 40 years old, who's crying because he doesn't know what he's going to do. He spent the last 15 years working on the electronic systems for a, F-101, you know, left wing. And I am and I jokingly say, well, there's the right wing. He says, no, that's a whole different system. <laughs> you know, and I'm going, oh, fuck. And, and, and the other thing that hit me was this person had no accountability to himself for managing mm. his career. He just yeah. assumed he was going to be a lifer. Sure. Right. And took it for granted. And, you know... There's some reason to believe that, but but we don't think that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And I believe that most kids coming out of school now who have parents who've worked in business, as opposed to those who might not have had parents who did those things, they they are getting advised. They they have opinions and issues that might be different. And I think we need to level the playing field to be able to provide more mentorship, more coaching, more counseling, like, like what we're trying to do. So Peter, I don't know if you know, we're, we, we're trying to launch this year before the end, a, a free mentorship program for uh, recruiting just for the industry. Okay. And, and not, not a, not a permanent thing. I mean, like you become a permanent mentor, but, but you know, people who I want four or 500 of people like you and me and many others much younger who might, who might in fact say, listen, I'm willing a couple times a month to take your call. Yeah. And, and spend a half an hour. If you've got a question about your career job or whatever. Yeah. So this is the first I'm hearing about that, but, but certainly by all means count me in and I'll, I'll even take two or three interns or mentees. If you could do a coffee with a young kid who's saying, Oh, absolutely. The reason I picked you is because, is because I saw that you, you worked at North of Grumman and you're not there now. And I'm thinking about what does it take to be successful in a, you know, in a defense company, you know, is yeah. it really all that bad as an autocratic, whatever command and control, or is it changing its way in terms of whatever? Yeah. And, you know, that's the perfect kind of question and setup that helps you guide somebody and whether they come back or not, you, you've made a, you know, you've made a, uh, you know, a change in and the actually, way that, that they see themselves. I will say this too, you know, you, you referenced the parents and, and here's the other thing, which, you know, look, the internet, I think, has gotten wild, wild west out there beyond anyone's imagination, at least when it, the whole thing started. But I do love some of the the emphasis and wherewithal to create transparency. You know, 
companies always used to be able to operate as a black box. And the difference between external and internal now is very fuzzy and blurred. And so whether you're talking about, you know, pay transparency and Jerry, I think I saw from you the list, you know, the list of companies that were trying to, to subvert that. Yep. Uh, and they were getting called out, you know, yep. in, in the public square and between, you know, LinkedIn or Glassdoor or, you know, you know, any myriad number of sites. I love the fact that, you know, there's greater transparency. If you Peter, I'm going to tell you, but, but we still have a ways to go, Peter. I, I do. don't disagree, but I, I think there is, we have a lot to Jerry's point. I think we have a long ways to go from accountability. And I got to tell you, when you're looking for a job yeah. and you need a job badly enough, and this is what corporations, yeah. ones I've worked for recruiting teams I've been on or that I've led, we count on this. You need the job. So you're going to put up with our bullshit right? To, to get to the point where we make the offer. And I think when you see organizations put up a pay range that goes from $80,000 to $207,000 on their job posting, right. so they don't they don't get in trouble with the law, people are still going to go through that. There are enough people well, that are still going to go through it. 100% agree. And I, and I also, look, it's been a little bit shocking to me. Um, I don't know if it was one of your all's discussions from the site or another group that I'm a part of, but when when this pay transparency first came to the fore and legislators at the state level were saying look we're, we're not leaving this to your control anymore we're gonna you know we're gonna pass a, a regulation around this i had many peers at companies that i respect who were absolutely beside themselves belligerent and you know how dare they do this and, and i'm like what I, I don't understand what what you first of all the genie's out of the bottle. Yeah, people can, Google, people can Google. The, the only question is: is the information they find online going to be accurate or not? And I would prefer them to have accurate information. So, that, you know, that, yeah, that you're 100 percent right, and that's part of the line in the sand that indeed drew. Yeah, uh, we did a podcast interview not long ago uh, with, where they said, look, this is our best guess. You can replace it with actual numbers or you can just deal with the fact that we've put our best guess on here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I, look, this may be controversial. I may not win friends. I, I hope that's not the case. But listen, I, I think that's a strong move. I, I applaud indeed for doing that. And I, I agree. I mean, I agree with you, Peter. I do think that there are a couple issues that we uh, we kind of overlooked in terms of how we influence, if you will, our peers and colleagues who may be a little uh, uncomfortable coming into the 21st century. Um, and I do think that we need more. Chris and I have been really focused on this issue for the last year in this transparency issue. I know. is, is really great. trying to figure out how can we, from a collective point of view, um, increase our power to influence and and act as a catalyst for a voice that comes from within the industry, as opposed to because some of your our colleagues and peers are upset simply because the voice is coming from the outside. outside. Legislators are who don't know anything about laws, it. and we don't know if they even know anything about recruiting. You know, and I could hazard a guess on that. We were, we were yeah. in my favorite is we were in like three, was it three, four weeks ago, Chris, we had our leadership meeting. We had like yeah. 40, you know, 30 some odd folk, uh, all of whom are heading up TA. And we wanted to have a good conversation on 
on transparency. So mm-hmm. one of the things we I, we asked is, you know, are your companies are your companies actually engaged in doing a calculation to understand better what kind of disparity exists, even exists, forgetting solving it yet, but mm-hmm. are they doing the, res- the you know, the, the analytics internally? And most of them, because obviously these are large companies who are members, and, and also, you know, leaders in, in, in their industries, respective industries, most of them raise their hand. But then yeah. I asked, then I asked how many of you have access to the results of their analytics. And they all said, no, it's not being shared with me. There's no transparency from rewards over to, you know, TA to better understand where we stand in terms of our um, discomfort, if you will, and what we're planning to do in in compression, we're, we're planning to do in focusing in on market pricing and ensuring that, you know, negotiations are equal for gender, race, you know, ethnicity. Well, and I'll throw in, Jerry, well, we, wait, wait, I'll throw in, yeah, you, go you, on. you make a good comment too. And I, I want, I don't want to interrupt you to stop. I just want to throw in the fact, no one's talking about total comp. Yes. We're talking and, about, and, right, nobody's forced to share total comp that gets negotiated. And but that's, we're getting, you know, right. Play. So it, let's just deal with that part, you know, because it, it's, it's a com- complex problem. Yeah. Understood. <laughs> but, but no one's got transparency. And then I said, how many of you have employees in California? And they go, everybody, raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah, we got plenty of employees in California. I said, so if you have 100 employees in California, you have to submit average pay mm-hmm. per gender, race, and ethnicity. What do you think California's going to do with that? Yeah. They're, they're going to publish it. It's going to be accessible. <laughs> I said, so you, you're, in, you're in the dark, and meanwhile, any one of your employees can see the level of compression. Any one of your candidates can see the differences and disparity, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. haven't even prepared a script to handle that question. So, I, you know, look, I will say, yeah, I will say in that regard, I've, I've been very fortunate. So over the last, you know, five, 10 years, I've always been in organization that did complex analysis, first of all, did great surveys so that the data was actually based on reality. Secondly, did analytics from a disparity standpoint, from a, you know, geodiff standpoint. And then they did share that with recruiting. And that's critical. That's that transparency issue of what the recruiters need to do their freaking job. Absolutely. Now, even companies like that, I think now there's a further step, which is don't just share it internally, but but be transparent externally. And I'll I'll be honest, like, look, if you've got a good news story to tell, and if you're a quality organization and you've done that homework and you've done your best to uh, erase or minimize uh, disparities, or you've got correction plans in there, if you see people that are outside of band, tell the story. Because absent telling the story, people will make up their own story. And usually right. that story isn't the one you want told. Well, you're 100% you're not, right. You're, you're not wrong. I will tell you, I sat with a leader at a financial institution two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said they had done a complete analysis on, on achieving full pay equity, internal, external. Mm-hmm. And then in one year, not what's the big, not 70 years, not 700 years, one year, 
they could they could fix the problem from at least getting normalized and then move forward. Yeah. However, 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 it came with and this is not a large organ not a, not a very large organization, a seventeen million dollar price tag right. to make it right in the first year payroll seventeen million dollars. This is not a two hundred you know two hundred thousand person organization. So yeah. it sits currently now with the CEO, I guess, up in the C-suite. They're deciding, ooh, do we hit this well, in one year? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you guys, the first, the first time that I was introduced to Career Crossroads was when I was at Booz Allen Hamilton. And I engaged you guys to come in and do a presentation. And um, we, got a little, we got a little surprised by some of the real-time candidate experience feedback that you oh, guys, we were doing mystery shopping then you were yeah, yeah. you were and yeah, and it yeah. looked it was eye-opening okay but look at that time i was one of those people chris that you were talking about when i went to booz allen i was really eager to get into the the public sector space mm -hmm. and so when they put an offer in front of me i didn't negotiate it i i just took it and the fact of the matter is i was undercompensated and so I got about a year in and they saw what I was capable of doing. And my boss, you know, kind of pulled me aside and she said, listen, Peter, we know that you're undercompensated. You're delivering value far in excess of what you're being paid. Now, we can't fix that right now, this minute, but we're going to do an incremental increase. Now you've got your annual review coming up in, I don't know, June. And then if, if we still have room to go, we'll do another off cycle. So trust us forward a year, hold us accountable, but we are going to make this right for you. And so, Chris, to your point, you know, maybe $17 million, if you're a small company, that's a fortune. So maybe you can't do it all at once, but you can roadmap it and you can have transparency around, look, we, we cannot afford to do this all in one fell swoop, but we're committed to getting it right. So stay with us. This is the journey we're going to take. You know? I love it. I, I, can, I can certainly appreciate that. It begs the question of, and the, the financial institution, not a small one, but just not 280,000 wow. people, right? So it's a chunk of change, but like, yeah. it does beg the question, why undercompensated to begin with, right? I mean, I remember bringing somebody in to my leader and saying, this is, I think this is the person for the job. And I think we should offer her this. Yeah. And, and my boss came back and said, well, isn't she only making that? And I said, and I swear this is a real conversation. It's just timely. And I said, well, yeah, but this is in the middle of our band. And then, no, you can give her that because that is 10%, 15% over what she makes today. It's the lower end of the band. It's in the band. So you can't argue with it. And I got, I got shut down. Well, you know, that, that kind of attitude has been around for 100 years. The yeah. question is, you know, it's changing. It's not changing fast enough. But it is. But I don't know that it could. I don't know for satisfaction. They're angry, disenfranchised, marginalized, upset people. Well, you can't go fast enough. Then we can't it. can't be surprised that the engagement levels are at a you know incredible right. low. Right. <laughs> That's right. I so you know, Chris. I I look. I've I've seen analogous situations before. Again, if you mm -hmm. if you're in a company that really has an ethical north star. Yeah, they will try to do the right thing. Okay, I think that's true. I, I the other thing that that I found very helpful is you know I've been a part of organizations where at the early career level, 
we really don't negotiate salaries. We have a we have a standard and a premium band depending on you know what the skill set is. And then regardless of who you are, where you're coming from, you're you're getting slotted into that. And so the pay equity starts at that first step totally equal. So Peter equitable. And I, I would actually agree with you, Peter, in the sense that when we look at our members, I think our members, almost to a person, um, are fundamentally within that framework. And yeah. even if they don't have access to all the data, they they have some confidence that their companies are trying to do the right thing. They may not be sharing as much as we all would like, <laughs> well, but but they know they've got to fix it before a class action suit takes place. You know what I, I mean? And I so, hate to go, I hate you, to go all lefty on you, but, but, but when I, you know, when I went, when I first earned corporate recruiting, my responsibility was hiring operators. Like mm. console, like when you, do you remember 411 when you sit out 411 and you name a number, like I was hiring these folks for some ridiculously low, whatever salary. But I remember having a chart in front of me. And, and this was your education level, right? And this was your months of experience. Everything was broken down into months. And you went here and you went here and boom, that was your offer. There's no negotiating. That's what you get, period. It didn't matter if I liked your gender more than another gender or the color of your skin more than another. It didn't matter. So when I broke over into the other side of it and now I'm making offers to people where there's some wiggle room, I'm like, I don't understand. Where's my matrix? Mm. What, what do you mean? I'm just making up. What do you, I just pick a number. Uh, I don't understand. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're putting your finger on something really important and I'm sure you guys are tracking this too, but you know, look, we are in the middle of another revolution, which is taking a much more skills oriented approach yeah. to hiring. And yeah. right. I mean, it's long overdue. It's, it's equitable. It, it increases the diversity in your pipeline. It recognizes experience from different different kinds of world experiences. Um, the challenge is that no one yet has figured out quite how to tie that back to comp. And even companies that are doing it maybe on the front end of the curve ultimately refer back to a proxy like years of experience or something like that. It, it, it is a, all, all things being equal, whether we like it or not, across corporate America. If you have a, an Ivy League degree or an Ivy League certification, all other things, being, you are going to be the, the premier candidate. You're going to be the front running candidate, all things being equal. Now, that doesn't make it right. Because there's an awful lot of people who are wildly talented who could probably do an, an amazing job in that, but didn't have the opportunity to go to, to some sort of Ivy League school or, so, or even to college at all. But I, I don't know how we break through that. So I will, I will okay. say this, Chris. I, you know, so I was at Nesby right before the pandemic, okay? Yeah. Um, National Society of Black Engineers. And yeah. We were we were there to make offers, okay, and and we lined up candidates, and and they were as a as a whole great. Uh, in fact, it made me. I remember thinking at the time, thank God I'm not in school anymore because I can't I can't compete with what. Never get what, an offer here. <laughs> yeah, but I'll never forget. There was one uh, young man who we were interviewing, and you know he showed up and he had his brand new suit on and. Um, a little nervous. So I was, I was trying to get him to relax, you know, look, we're here, we're, we're, we're here to, to find a mutual win. So just go in there and be yourself, you know? And, 
He's like, yeah, well, you know, it's just I'm a little bit tired. And I said, oh, yeah, I didn't sleep well. And he said, well, um, I he, he was going to an HBCU way down in the south. This event was in Detroit. And the only way he could afford to get there was by taking a bus. And he was on a bus oh, for something like 18 wow. hours. And I was like, at that point, I was almost like, look, I, I don't even care what's on the resume. Anybody that's willing to get on a Greyhound bus for 18 hours and tra- traverse the United States. To come in for an interview. Yeah. For like that job, for that level job, those requirements, some of which may have been bullshit to begin right. with. Right. This guy's all in. Let, let's be honest, early career, 100%. none of them really have experience. They might have a good internship, but but you're ha- hiring for capability and you're hiring for the the drive and you're hiring for their collaboration and their teamwork. And it's like, here you've got this student who, with along with four or five others from his school, got on a bus and made this journey. And I'm like, I will hire you right now. Well, yeah. and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curveball with the with the same ball you just pitched and say, okay, <laughs> you should be hiring today more for potential and taking all that profit money that we're making hand over fist at big corporations and investing in in the further education towards that job expertise. We should be investing in the training and the development so and hiring people you, for that potential. You guys probably know this, but you know, I think the half life on a, a current technology right now is something like two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like the old days when you learned COBOL and you did COBOL. COBOL folks, Peter, when I was an early recruiter, like those dinosaurs, when I was in my twenties, were writing their own checks. Right. Bring them back out every 10 years to correct oh. the code. But, but look, the half-life on a technology is two and a half years. So the fact of the matter is we need to rate, be in the retraining business for everybody. And it makes the learning aptitude, it makes the learning discipline so much. Like if someone is an active learner and they just constantly are mm-hmm. curious about learning new skills and new technologies, that that they should be getting a premium for that because that is what is going to be required in the workforce as we go forward. I would agree. Yeah. And we should be looking at our own profession as well. 100%. And I know you have, Peter, that that you have put a lot of energy and effort into upskilling your recruiters. And I know they appreciate that. But the fact of the matter is, recruiting is shifting and changing. And between the issues around transparency, the willingness to provide more nuanced feedback, the ability to step up and engage hiring managers mm-hmm. to push back those those skills need to be taught to recruiters who are not yet necessarily trained as a regular you know course of of how they how they uh, succeed. Absolutely, and I think yeah. we're going to do a lot more of that. Well, I think Absolutely. goes to the hiring manager side too. I think goes to the hiring manager side too. If you're allowed oh, to do an interview, you got to go through the same certification. You got to go through the same everything. Absolutely agree. Now, if if I were a young buck like Chris here. I, I would not more. I'm bucking, but I'm not young. <laughs> I, I I probably wouldn't be so invested, but I'll I'll be honest with you, not Jerry. I don't, I'm sure you you've got some of this too, but it's like, look, this has been a profession that has been amazing for me. Yeah, um, me it's, it's introduced me to incredible people. I've had the opportunity to touch technologies that 
we couldn't even imagine 50 years ago. Um, I've bought houses. Um, you know, I've been able to put my daughter through college. Like that is an amazing thing. And I want the next crop, the next generation of recruiters to have the same opportunities that I did. Absolutely. But they're going to need new skills. They're going to need enhanced skills. They're going to need to be agile as the technologies change and as hiring managers need more and more assistance, you know, navigating the the labor market and finding adjacencies in the skills arena. Um, it, it is gonna it's, it's gonna be a fascinating career. But Absolutely. if you don't make that shift, if you're used to just pushing paper across the desk and saying, "Let me know who you want to interview," you're, and you we, won't. And we have to. And as we upskill their capabilities, we need to supply them with better and better information. Like, for example, you mentioned that you were um, observing something, some of what was going on with the Candidate Experience Awards, yeah. which really is a research organization focused on bringing that kind of data at that at that level as to the impact that that might have on business and other aspects of what I hope ATAP might do in terms of the association and talent acquisition mm-hmm. professionals long-term. Mm-hmm. But I think the suppliers and vendors who support the talent acquisition leaders and their teams are also going to have to demonstrate that they're mo- they're helping to move the industry forward and, and, you know, advance the profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that all comes together in terms of how we supply that transparency to recruiters and candidates and hiring managers so that they can make better decisions. Right. Yep. 100% agree. 100% agree. So, so what do you think is going to be your biggest challenge down the road there, Peter? Oh, my gosh. Um the easiest challenge you've got is is getting back into career crossroads. That's a no brainer. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that. We'll be right back. We did get the email so, from Barb, so I, I think we're we're on our and way. You know, it's not for you. It's for it's for the people that that are your team. Oh, absolutely. You know, they're the ones that that we we look at in terms of building the the kind of content that they can uh, they can put together. And, it would and be. They should be bringing solutions to you. It would be fun to see you get, uh, we'll send you some information, but get a little more involved in our nonprofit at the the foundation, the CXR Foundation. Oh, but yeah, but, please, please do. Please yeah, do. We'll come back to that. When I, look at, when I look at the future and when I think about challenges, um, I don't know. Again, maybe it's just where I am in my career. Uh, but I, I really, you know, look, we're going to have to all weather a little bit of economic uncertainty. We don't know what. Uh, what Vladimir Putin has in store. Uh, and we're going to have to be mindful about that. And and hopefully he'll be deferred from doing more atrocities than he already has. Um, but when I look at the future, I, I just, I, I really see amazing opportunity in terms of finally getting to a place with diversity, equity, and inclusion. That is a real step forward where we really honor differences and where people are coming from, but, but simultaneously recognize that they're human beings and deserve to be valued. And I, I think, I think we're, we, we have an opportunity to cross a threshold on that. When I think about the skills uh, revolution, when I think about transparency 
And all of these things in one way or another, you know, they, they are a little bit of a headwind in the face. You're trying to keep your operations going day in and day out. And then you have these strategic things that you're locking into. But I, I don't know if you guys know Nicole Malakowski. She was the first female Thunderbird pilot in the U.S. Air Force. And I've had the opportunity to hear her speak once or twice. And she said something at the last the last time I heard her speak that just has stuck with me. And she said, you know, I went up I went up in the airplane the first time and she's flown combat missions. She's decorated pilot. But the first time she went up with the Thunderbirds in formation, she hit some turbulence. And she said, uh, I didn't know what to do. I grabbed the stick. I tried to, you know, muscle the machine where it needed to go. And her uh, commander, when they landed, said, what, what were you doing up there? Your plane was all over the place. And they're flying 450 knots, three feet away from each other. There's not a lot of room for error. And she told him, and she asked him, well, didn't you feel the, the turbulence? And he said, of course. And he said, do you want to know the secret? And she said, yeah, the secret would be nice. And he said, when you encounter turbulence up there, loosen your grip on the stick because the plane is going to go where the air moves it and the planes will move in tandem with each other. You need to release your death grip on that stick. And I think as we go into these turbulent times, we need to stay focused on what we can control. We need to stay absolutely focused on our teams, on all of the issues that we've talked about. And the bumps, you just have to gonna, you're gonna have to ride those out. You're just gonna have to realize it's gonna be uncomfortable, but I'm gonna control what I can control and I'm gonna let the, the stick kind of move so that we're all moving in concert, you know? I don't like that. Yeah. yeah. Great nice. metaphor. <laughs> It's fantastic. It is fascinating metaphor. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, Peter, I, I just want to thank you so much. Full of gratitude uh, for you joining us and then not forcing me, but encouraging me to go back out and get a little bit <laughs> Like I'm not mad about it. We'd been missing from the cabinet. I, I am so glad that you guys enjoy it. Uh, and it is, it is really a pleasure to see both of you. I'm glad to, to constantly see the work that you're doing. You're, you're doing, heroes work out there really and uh and, and baseline. we're doing baseline that's what we're baseline. trying to say everybody step you, up baseline look you you can call it what you guys want i you know look recruiting is always living at the the pointy end of the spear and as a practitioner when you're in there taking fire <laughs> trying to navigate okay it is really it is really reassuring to, to look out there and see a sensible voice in the conversation that that you can check in with and know, hey, look, yeah, I'm I'm doing the right thing. Well, we so, we appreciate your support for sure. Yep. Yeah. And the pointy end. We're happy to be on that. Well, great to see you and and hopefully uh, at one of your CXR events here in the near term. I know how we can make that happen. I'm not worried about it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of Career Crossroads Uncorked. Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin look forward to sharing more drinks and conversation with you next time. Until then, cheers.